Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Stacking the Box College Football Edition. We are here to get you set for, without a doubt, the biggest slate of the college football season. We got six ranked-on-ranked matchups, one of them being Colorado taking their undefeated record to Austin Stadium to take on the Oregon Ducks, catching three touchdowns. We're going to get into (laughs) that as well as Alabama Ole Miss, Clemson, Florida State, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Huge slate. I'm your host, Reed Wallach, joined today by Cody Williams. Cody, how's it going, man? I'm I'm doing okay overall. You know, look at my wounds from a one in five week, but you know, we'll bounce back. We always do. Yeah, I mean, listen, everyone loses. It's okay. It's you know, true. you're gonna have good weeks. You're gonna have bad weeks. Overall, this year, you know, we got to pick it up. I'm sitting at 12 and 13. You're sitting at 11 and 14. I listen. I had a bad week two weeks ago. I I got it's back true. on back on the horse four and two. So let's hope one of us at least could get into the positives here, make some people some money on the year to date numbers. Speaking right. of, like, can't miss opportunities. I got to tell you about what DraftKings is doing this football season. They've upped their promotion. We told you about the deposit bet five. You get 200 in bonus bets. They've upped it. It's now deposit $5, place a bet on anything. You get $200 in bonus bets plus 150 back in bonus bets if your team loses. So all you have to do is use the code STB, stands for Stack in the Box, this fine program. Again, that's STB. And not only get you these bonuses, but it also is helping this podcast. So if you've been considering signing up for DraftKings, make sure to use the code STB to maximize your first bets. Again, that's deposit five, get 200 bonus bets. And if that team loses, you get $150 in bonus bets. So if you want to maximize your joining DraftKings and helping out this podcast, make sure to do that. This offer is only available to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check out the episode description below for the full terms on the offer to see if you qualify. Again, that's code STB. All right. We're skipping like our little like intro recap, Mm -hmm. what happened, how we're feeling. We're getting right into this stuff because we have plenty of games we want to get to. Um, Cody, how are you before I do want to like set the stage here. How are you feeling ahead of a week? Do you feel like you're seeing the board? Well, I know you said bad week last week, but are you, you still feel like this is operating well for you? Cause you had a hot start to the year. Yeah, I definitely do. I think last week we got caught in a lot of spots where, you know, it was look ahead spots too this week. Like you look at where, you know, we're going to talk about Florida state Clemson. You look at Florida state, Boston college, which I was obviously on the Florida state side of that and Florida state mailed it in in the, in the late stages of that game and almost got caught. And then, you know, you had, like there was some excitement, like Colorado, Colorado State was exciting. But I mean, that was also a weird game for Colorado. Like they should have blown the doors off Colorado State. So I think we were, were coming off a week where what these what a lot of these teams actually are might have been hidden by look ahead spots or tricky spots or bad opponents in the case of Ohio State, which was another pick I lost. Yeah, I, we won't talk about my loss on a Georgia Tech Ole Miss uh, Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Uh, that that hurt uh, all the scoring there and uh, Lane deciding to run in. But also just don't onside kick it there, Buster, uh, uh, Brent Key. Um, whatever. We move. We move. We got a new week That's here. Right. Like I said, I'm 12 and 13 on the year. Cody's 11 and 14. If I had to guess, when we talk to you for the week five preview, one of us will be over 500. Hopefully, both of us. Let's start. You mentioned Florida State in the red bandana game. Florida State. Traveling to Death Valley to take on Clemson. Last time we saw Clemson in front of a national audience, uh, they vomited all over themselves, much to my pain as I was a pretty big uh, Clemson believer heading into the year. But they have a chance to right their wrongs here. I, you know, Clemson wins this one. They're right back in the mix for the ACC title, maybe outside shot the college football playoff. Um, Florida State, like you said, bit of a rocky game against BC. They start mm-hmm. slow. They end up kind of putting themselves in like a chance of losing. Let Thomas Castellanos run wild. He passed for over 300 yards and nearly ran for a hundred. 
setting up this matchup, Florida State, a two-and-a-half-point road favorite against Clemson. I think I saw this for the first time in nine years since Lamar Jackson was there. Maybe it's seven years, but since Lamar Jackson went to Clemson, uh, that Clemson is a home underdog. So this is a really big change in uh, expectation for the Tigers. Mm -hmm. Total stood at 55. Cody, how do you see this one playing out? Uh, This shouldn't shock anyone that's uh, not new to the program, but I'm taking Florida State minus the two and a half. Um, I understand that the Boston College game got ugly, but they also did get up 31 to 10 in that game. And Mm -hmm. then they seemed to like just be looking to get out of Dodge and they almost got clipped because of it, obviously. Like it didn't turn out the way that you want those types of games. Like they didn't have the cruise control. But when I look at this Clemson team, we still haven't seen them perform offensively against like notable competition. Like it was Charleston Southern. And then last week I'm totally blank on who they played. Um, Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic. Yeah. Who we saw is not, you know, Tom Herman hasn't done a great job getting that program or not. Sorry that not to disparage Tom Herman. He hasn't had a chance to build that program up back up yet. Um, But at the same time, like we haven't seen this offense perform against high-level competition yet, and they looked, you know, pedestrian against a team like Duke. Understanding this game's at home, I think that the Clemson defense, like, they're improved in the secondary from last year, which was a big problem for them, but I think that Florida State's weapons are kind of matchup proof. Like, you look at a Keon Coleman, a Johnny Wilson, Jaheim Bell, Trey Benson, like, these guys are talented enough to go to the NFL, go to the next level, and a lot of college football defensive backs, even if it's a good secondary, are going to have trouble defending them. And then more importantly, I think that when you look at the Clemson offense and Cade Klubnick, who, mind you, has still not performed up to, you know, his talent level, his recruiting pedigree in a big spot yet. uh, I don't like the one way you attack this Florida State defense is with their secondary, which is still relatively, you know, suspect in some areas. We saw it last week in that, you know, late against Mm -hmm. Boston College with Castellanos. But I don't think Bo Collins and Antonio Williams are the type of like game changing weapons that are going to like truly be able to take advantage of that matchup. And when I, when it comes down to it, I just think Florida state is the better team in this matchup. And I think that Jordan Travis has been in these big spots and in recent history, we've seen him succeed in these big spots. So I think it's Florida state, even as a road favorite. Yeah. uh, I can't, it's tough to trust Clemson. I will say, I do wonder has Clemson, maybe start to find something and maybe this takes a few weeks to get this Garrett Riley system set up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go back to that Duke game again, didn't punt in the second half, had a 48% success rate, which would have graded out across all the games in 2022 as an 82nd percentile type game. So, I mean, Clemson on paper destroyed Duke. If you just looked at the numbers, right. you would have said Clemson won that game. It just fumbles inside the Red zone, which, and it goes back to what I said when we kind of recap that game. When you're not having explosive plays, it puts a lot of pressure on you down to down to execute and, you know, limit mistakes. I don't know if I could trust Clemson to win this game or cover at that point, but I do think that this Florida State defense is a little overrated. Um, I think Florida State's offense is a pretty high floor. So I went with the over as my best bet in this one. I think that would be where I lean at 55 right now. Uh, One of the most popular landing totals in college football. To me, you you know, Florida State, you go back at that LSU game. That was an even game for three and a half quarters. Back and forth. LSU moved the ball on them pretty well. I think Clemson at home could, you know, hopefully Garrett Riley gets the keys and could scheme up a few big plays. Thomas Castellanos ran wild. Cade Klubnik has shown an ability to run a little bit and use his legs. And, I mean, we saw last year at TCU with Garrett Riley as the coordinator. Max Duggan, timely first down run yeah. as quarterback design. Um, you know, RPO keeping it himself. Maybe that's how they start to loosen up this Florida State defense. I mean, you know, say what you want. They beat LSU. It's a tough schedule relative, I guess, playing LSU. That's tough on a neutral. Beat Southern Miss and then at Boston College. Florida State grades out as a bottom – half of the country in terms of EPA per play. So they're allowing chunk plays still. Yeah. Um, I think Florida state has a pretty high floor on offense. Like I don't think Clemson is able to win this one 17, 14. I just think Florida State no. has too many weapons that they're going to, they're going to get theirs. I think for Clemson to win this one, got to keep it into like, you know, mid twenties ish, higher twenties, you know, something in the neighborhood of 28, 24, I think could potentially get this done. But I think FSU is getting at least three scores, probably more. I, 
think very highly of this Clemson defense. I just think maybe this Florida State defense is a weaker part than we think. And listen, it's going to be weakness on weakness and strength on strength with the FSU offense versus the Clemson defense and the Clemson right. offense versus the Florida State defense. So I think a lot to be decided. I think that there's a lot of questions. I'm not itching to back Clemson after what they did to me in week <laughs> one. But that being said, I think that there might be a little uh, more points than expected. I just think maybe Clemson's offense, that Duke total where they only scored, what was it, seven points? Yeah, seven points. I think maybe that's deflating the expectation a little bit. And I think Clemson offense, maybe not great, but a little bit better. No, and I don't, I don't even disagree with the over as a play here. I think that you're completely right. Like this Florida State defense is probably what's going to be like could cost them a spot at the college football playoff if they slip up at another spot and on the schedule and something like that. But I look at the way they played in that second half of the Boston College game where it got so conservative that it was detrimental that it's very clear to me it's one of these spots like we – I mean, I saw we saw it a few weeks ago with Texas playing Rice in the opener, and it was like, oh, well, is Texas actually, you know, ready to beat Alabama? It turns out that they were just game planning for Alabama. Mm. Florida State's game planning for Clemson because it's the game that matters on the schedule. They can't lose this one. And okay. it's also a signature win to for their college football playoff resume. And so I'm not reading much into what we saw last week, which definitely affects their EPA per play because they clearly could not stop Castellanos. But I don't think they were also like, putting forth, you know, the maximum amount of effort or the maximum amount of schematics for that matter. So, but I do agree with you that the defense still does have some issues that Clemson could take advantage of. I think there's going to be more points than we expect, but in a game that's going to feature like that could more or less be come down to whose offense is better. I'm always going to trust Florida state, even in a tougher matchup. Mm -hmm. We shall see. That'll be an interesting one. Noon Eastern kickoff. ABC, I'm pretty sure. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go to Tuscaloosa. To talk about Alabama before we get to the game itself. They are hosting Ole Miss. Alabama laying a touchdown, total of 55 and a half. Alabama, uh, how do I put this nicely? Uh, <laughs> There's no way to put crisis, it nicely. <laughs> an identity crisis, a loss of, I, of their way. I don't even know how mm-hmm. to put it into words, but this is the most – confused and distraught I've seen a Nick Saban-led team, maybe in recent memory. Uh, this is a team that benched Jalen Milrow. There seems to be reports that maybe he was a light suspension benching mm-hmm. after being asked to split reps with Tyler Buckner in practice. Apparently, he didn't take too lightly to that. So <laughs> uh, Buckner gets a start against South Florida, looks terrible. Go, they go to Ty Simpson. He doesn't look much better. They end up beating South Florida 17-3 to as 32-point favorites. Mm-hmm. Milrow's going to start again this one. I mentioned when we recapped the Texas game, I don't think he played as bad as the coaching staff put him in a position to the, – the coaching staff did not put him in a position to succeed in that game. Right. We'll see if they change it up. I don't know. They had a players-only meeting earlier this week. Lane Kiffin's talking about he thinks the D.C.'s been demoted. There's a lot going on here, especially with Lane Kiffin on the other <laughs> sideline. Cody, any thoughts on the state of the Crimson Tide before you give your best bet out? Yeah, I mean, it, you have to be concerned by it. Like, you know, it's not just the – like, I can fully understand after the Texas game, you know, wanting to see the other quarterbacks against the team that ostensibly the defense is going to be able to shut down, which is what happened. Like, Buckner and Simpson played horrendously, and they still won the game by two touchdowns because the defense was like, okay, South Florida, chill out for a second. But, like, when you get down to it, the fact that they're not confident in the quarterback, not or they're not confident in a quarterback, not one of the three. And then you have, you know, an offense that ha- is, I've said this for a couple of years now, but Alabama does not have the same level of receiving talent and the weapons that they had previously. The, but my biggest concern is the offensive line. 
this was supposed to be one of the best offensive lines in the country, and they're giving up pressure at a pretty like staggering and unfortunate rate for Alabama. And when you have uncertainty at quarterback, that's a big problem. Milrow is probably the best option to get out of that because he's the I most agree. mobile and the most dangerous with his legs. But that wasn't expected to be a problem for this team. And so that's what worries me a ton. And on top of that, like, there was a lot of criticism after the Texas game about the defense, Kevin Steele's defense. And, you know, Lane Kiffin is stirring the pot as he does. Let's not forget when he said, get your popcorn ready before playing Alabama that one a couple years ago. And then proceeded to get absolutely scorched by Saban. But at the same time, like, that defense – showed a propensity to give up big plays. I don't think there's a lot of worries about the defense, but I do think they are susceptible to well-schemed big plays from playmakers. Does Ole Miss have those playmakers? I'm not entirely sure, but they are susceptible to that. So I think there's a lot of reason to be concerned about Alabama. 100%. uh, Back to your offensive line point. Worst sack rate allowed in the Power Five right now. Ole Miss has 10 sacks through three games. So this this is a big concern. Um, I think you look at the old Miss side, you know, cause listen, two teams are on the field. Jackson Dort is playing at a very high level second mm-hmm. year in the Lane Kiffin system. And it took a little bit for them to get going against Georgia tech. I watched that one with very keen eyes, given the financial investment I had in the game. Uh, but it took him a while to get going Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. And I will say Quinchon Jenkins has been banged up. Trey Harris didn't even play last week. Zakari Franklin, the highly touted UTSA transfer. He hasn't played Yet, apparently practicing this week. Maybe Franklin gets on the field. Harris expected to be back. And Judkins, he was limited on the field. But they have a pretty nice stable of running backs there. So Dart's been playing, though, with a mm-hmm. – I don't want to say, like, one hand tie behind back, but, like, this hasn't been the full staple of Ole Miss talent at the skill right. position. Jackson Dart's still been playing at a very, very high level. Of course, you're playing Alabama now, not Tulane and Georgia Tech <laughs> and Mercer. Correct. So there is a jump there expected – I do think you're going to see Ole Miss get off to a hot start because Lane Kiffin, I think, is one of the best play designers in the entire country. And it feels like, Mm -hmm. and he has in the past, he's played Alabama tough, and it seems like he has a little beat on what they're going to do. He used to work with um, defensive coordinator Alabama. Now I'm drawing a blank on his name, Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele, yeah. Kevin Steele used to work with him at Alabama. So has a beat there. I think Ole Miss, this is the best chance they have of winning this one. I think that they come in most – the closest in terms of talent, closest in terms of quarterback play, especially. I think Ole Miss is definitely live in this one. I think the total, the the spread has kind of adjusted nicely to where it should be. I'll, I'll give out my play. I like the under for a lot of the mm. things we've noted. I think Alabama's offensive line is a huge concern. I think this team has no identity on offense. I don't trust them to put up a big number, and I'm not really a believer that they're going to try and put up a big number. That they're going to try and you know, push this to a high 20s type of game. You look at the Texas game, for example, and Texas is much better than Ole Miss. But that game was 13-9 with two to three minutes left in the third quarter. That game was Mm -hmm. a dead under game that got sideways at the end when Milrow hit a big pass, then Ewers hit a big pass, and then Milrow threw an untimely interception in his own end zone, basically. I think that Alabama wants to play under games, I think Ole Miss's offense maybe runs into some trouble against the physicality of Alabama's defense. I think this game ends up being much slower in terms of production on the field. And I, I think this game shapes out like an under. I think I, – I honestly think Ole Miss are going to win this one. So I'll put I'll, – I'll say it. I'll, I'll go like Ole Miss 24-21, something like that, low 20s. I just – I think Alabama – that offense isn't right, and I can't trust them as a big favor to really put on a score. I mean, this is like pretty average college football game. This one looks more like below average. Both teams last year, which includes Bryce Young on the field, below five yards per play on offense. So that was, you know, these are two teams that have shut each other down recently. I love you, Reed. You're a great co host, great friend, uh, but we're fighting. We're fighting on this one. Let's go. Uh, I'm going. I'm going to over fifty. Only one of us can come out alive. There's a half point on this one. There's no ties here. Winner Absolutely. takes all. Yeah. There's no middle ground to be had here. No different numbers. Uh, yeah. Over fifty-five and a half for me in this one. Um, I understand that's what Alabama wants to do. I am not. Like I said, I'm not confident in this defense's ability to limit explosive plays. 
I understand that the physicality in previous years has definitely affected this Ole Miss team, but I think I, Jackson Dart has performed way – you mentioned it. Jackson Dart's performed way better than I thought Jackson Dart was capable of performing, quite mm-hmm. frankly, and from everything we'd seen for him, from him uh, prior to this season. And when if they, especially if they get Zakari Franklin back, who was one of the best wide receivers that not a lot of that not a lot of people knew about last year because he's at UTSA. Like he's an incredibly talented player. If he's playing in this game, if they get Harris back, this is a deep stable of wide receivers. And I look at this game, or I look at this Ole Miss offense, and I see it's not obviously identical, but especially with Charlie Weiss Jr.'s influence, the OC under Lane Kiffin. There's a little bit of Tennessee Josh Heupelness to it, and we saw what that Tennessee offense with weapons with a capable quarterback, which Jackson Dart has proven to be, is capable of doing against this against this Alabama defense. And so I think that they're going going to give up some big plays, and that that under game that Alabama and Nick Saban and Kevin Steele want is not going to be an option for them because I think Ole Miss is going to put the pressure on them to where it's not the case. And then on the flip side of that, I don't have a ton of faith in Milrow. But one thing I've seen from this Ole Miss defense with their getting pressure is, or when they're getting pressure, is they actually have a really bad propensity for getting out of their rush lanes to get pressure. And so, like, Haynes King, who is somewhat mobile, but not, like, the most mobile guy, had 42 rush yards last week, and that's with the sack numbers adjusted in there, too. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, uh, Horton had some nice runs, the backup quarterback for Tulane. So – Milrow is a much more gifted and talented runner than any of those. So I think they could break off some big explosive plays with Milrow's legs that then opens up the game, the run game for Roy Williams, Jason McClellan, who were, they were the only success, successful parts yeah. of the offense last week. And so I think when you have that kind of, you know, juxtaposition, I think we're looking at a game that might end up in the like 31, 28 range. I think it's going to be like pretty, like, I don't think, either one of us was going to win our bet whoever wins in this fight i don't think it's going to be like oh wow it was over by a mile or wow it was under by a mile i think it's going to be pretty close to that 55 and a half total so i think we're both going to be sweating on this one but i just i have more faith in what these offenses are capable of in this matchup that i can't trust this uh alabama offense right now i just i can't they (laughs) there's been zero evidence this season outside of one Jalen Milrow throw to burden that this offense can get vertical, that this offense can rip off chunk plays. I mean, look at the, I mean, it's a three game sample size, but you kind of blend in what's happened. I mean, they played middle Tennessee who was outmatched. They played Texas, obviously high level game that didn't work out. And then you play South Florida. Who's one of the 10, 15 worst defense in the country. And they couldn't get anything granted hurricane, whatever you want to call that, but still look at the numbers. This is an average Alabama offense nationally and 74th in EPA per play 99th in EPA per pass. I just, I think this Ole Miss defense, while you're, you make a good point about the rush lanes and maybe losing contain. Don't you think that that's going to be the directive now that Nick Saban's already announced that Jalen Milrow is the starter. Isn't this just going to be all right. We're stacking the box. We're not letting Jalen – like, we're spying. We are not letting Jalen Milrow loose. We are keeping an eye on him, and we're not going to let him rip off chunk plays because we're going to dare this guy to beat us over the top because which guy, like you mentioned, which guy is going to beat us? Let him beat us once. He's more likely going to throw a pick. So, I first off, we're always stacking the box here. Let's be clear <laughs> about that. <laughs> but secondly, um, I think that – one of the things that has been kind of buzzing, like you mentioned that Milrow may have been like soft suspended for the South Florida mm. game. One of the things that's kind of been buzzing a little bit is that there's kind of been a power struggle within the Alabama coaching staff about Reese wanting Buckner, the quarterback he's comfortable with and Milrow and Saban wanting Milrow as the guy that gives them the best chance to succeed with their current mm-hmm. roster. And I have to wonder if what we saw last week with how poorly Buckner and Simpson performed doesn't, force Reese into a position more or less to where he's more like he's trying to cater the offense to Milrow, not trying to get Milrow to cater to his offense. And so I think we could see, one, that's, but that's why they should have started him against South Florida. Oh, you're you know, not that wrong. Like a, that was like a necessary time against a really bad defense to really kind of run around and see what works. Now you're going right to sec play. They don't seem to have anything going. Like it's not like Alabama's entering this one. Like, all right, we know we're about to, 
quarterback design runs, you know, and it's not like a, oh, we've been like so, slow playing this one and we're going to unleash the playbook. This is a right. team that does not know what they want right now. And I, I'm 100% with you. I, I mean, to be clear, I also have Ole Miss winning in this game. So like, I'm with you on that. I, it's not like an overwhelming amount of faith that I have in what this offense, Alabama offense is capable of. But I also don't have a ton of faith in this Ole Miss defense other than getting pressure. Like, their secondary is not great. I understand Alabama doesn't have the weapons to beat them consistently. But I do think that we could see something similar to what we saw with, like, the Ian Book offense at uh, Notre Dame, which, granted, wasn't a world beater, but it was effective where they ran Book a lot and you have a much more effective runner in Jalen Milrow. So I think that, like, I understand that, like, they should have, yes, they should have done it against South Florida. And yes, they should have been running this offense since the spring. But I do think Reese has it in the playbook and that there probably has been some coaching to, you know, ready them for a moment when they need to make a switch like this. We shall see that. Absolutely. One of the more interesting games on the card. Let's go to another Interesting for maybe what's happening before the game, off the field, and everything and everything else, maybe besides what's on the field. But that's Oregon, <laughs> Colorado. Uh, Colorado escapes as 24-point favors against Colorado State in double overtime. Needs a Shadur Sanders masterclass in the final minutes to escape with a win. Colorado now travels to Oregon to face a college football playoff hopeful in the Ducks. They are catching 21. The total currently sits at a nice juicy 70 and a half they're expecting a track meet a, me a basketball game uh at Austin Stadium this weekend Cody how do you see, do you think that the Colorado hype train stops here they're handed their first loss obviously odds makers are expecting that but week one this year they didn't beat TCU as they touched on underdogs so how do you see it playing out so I, uh, yeah, the buck stops here, or as the title of the episode, the buffs stop here. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't see Colorado's, I mean, it really comes down to Colorado's defense. You know, I don't have faith in this unit that allowed 42 points to Chandler freaking Morris in that TCU game. And now you're going up against a legitimate Heisman candidate, Bo Nix. I've been mm-hmm. highly critical of Bo Nix for his entire career, basically. Like, I think that there's a lot of flaws with him as a quarterback, even at Oregon. But I do know he's been effective in this Oregon offense. And they, they're just going to dice up this Colorado defense. Like, if Oregon put up 60, it would not surprise me by themselves. But the way I'm playing this is the Colorado team total over 24 and a half because – the dirty secret about Oregon that because everyone is enamored with Bo Nix in the offense is that this defense is not particularly good. They were, uh, they're ranked 40th right now in Bill Connolly's SP plus rankings on defense. Mm-hmm. And you look at this Colorado, you know, this Colorado team and basically everything they've done successfully to get to this three and zero start has been predicated on Shador Sanders in this offense and big plays and explosive plays with Dylan Edwards, Jimmy Horn jr. And, We've seen nothing from Oregon that should make us think otherwise. Like, this is an Oregon team that should have lost in Lubbock to Texas Tech if Texas Tech didn't start shooting itself in the foot in the fourth quarter. And they allowed 30 points to a Texas Tech offense, which I think Colorado is a flawed team, but this Colorado offense is substantially better than that Texas Tech offense in terms of the talent they have. I understand that maybe not in the trenches. I'll give you that. But in terms of the playmakers and the weapons and the ability to reel off explosive plays and – you know, I look at this game and I just don't – I think a, Oregon's probably going to get out to a lead if they get some stops, and that's going to cause them to, you know, soften up. And that, and Shador Sanders can pick apart a soft defense. Like, if there's – I worry about Shador Sanders in terms of his total NFL potential, but I know he throws a pretty ball and I know he throws an accurate ball. And Definitely so, throws a pretty ball, that's for sure. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> you watch it, it's a tight spiral every single yeah. time. But – um but he throws an accurate ball. And so if Oregon gives him space, he's going to pick them apart because the wide receivers are capable of beating these guys in the secondary that's rebuilding in Oregon. And so I think asking this or this Colorado offense to get, you know, three touchdowns and two field goals or four touchdowns to hit this over for their total, I think they can still get blown out and hit this pretty easily. My one concern for asking Colorado to do a lot of scoring in this game is obviously the loss of Travis Hunter, but also where I think Oregon is most susceptible to getting gashes on the ground. And Colorado hasn't, like quietly in this Colorado three-game run, 
they've been pushed around the trenches and it's been a lot of Shadur Sanders needs to bail us out and we need to get horn downfield uh Williams out on dump offs Williams hasn't been yeah. able to run through the tackles or bounce to the outside whatsoever I mean Colorado 37 percent success rate 37 percent success rate 113th um I'm sorry um, I'm sorry, 100th in success rate on the ground, uh, 37% success rate. And then EPA per play, 108. So they're not really ripping off chunk plays. It's been all downfield passes. And right. I I want to give credit to Colorado State last week because they used their bye week to scheme up how to slow down Colorado. Of course, there were a lot of penalties, a lot of defensive scores, and that game was wild. Yeah. I just think Oregon has the size and the talent like pure raw talent to really mess around this Colorado defense I, I or Colorado offensive line. I think Texas Tech's offensive line is far bigger, far more mm-hmm. talented. And that's where this game could really go sideways for Colorado. That being said, if Colorado gets bludgeoned, they're going to keep Shadur in there to pick up his numbers, like 100%. Mm-hmm. So the gas pedal is going to be on until the bitter end for Colorado. That's why I don't necessarily – I'm not going against your play. I personally, my favorite band this one is just laying it with Oregon, minus 21, three touchdowns. This Colorado team, it's a nice story, but it ends here. This is a Mm -hmm. not terrible Colorado team anymore. This is a good Colorado team that's going to fight for bull eligibility. It's great. It's a great season. That being said, they have very little depth. They are playing their fortune game. They're traveling off a very emotional Late game, late kick on the road. Now you're playing a uh, 12 Pacific time kick, 1230, I should say, in Oregon. Who And they played Texas Tech two weeks over the last week. They were messing around with Hawaii. They destroyed them <laughs> 55 to 10. Colorado, 89th in net yards per play this, this season. So they've been getting out gained. Yeah. At a pretty substantial clip. Now you're playing an Oregon team. I mean, this team has zero issue putting up points. They put up 81 against Portland State, an FCS team. Put up 38 <laughs> yeah. against Texas Tech on the road. They thrive at home. I think that this is setting up for Colorado without Travis Hunter, who is their best player on defense and their best non shadur Sanders player on offense. That's a huge loss that I think is just getting kind yeah. of glossed over in this whole thing. Like, we're just expecting Colorado. Like, I guess we – you know, maybe people who aren't as well-versed in the point spread because this is a three-touchdown spread. I just think Colorado, it's going to be – you could they could find themselves down three scores like that because they play yeah. fast. They haven't faced an offense that could really push them with a defense that can at least get in the backfield. TCU was half of that. Nebraska was the other half of that. Now you're seeing kind of a culmination here. I think Oregon smacks them. And don't forget what Dan Lanning said at Pac-12 Media Day. They asked him about Colorado, and he said um, – he doesn't care about um, them leaving or anything. And then obviously mm-hmm. they end up leaving. But I think there's no love lost for these Colorado teams coming in on the road now, Pac-12 play. And competition picks up. And I think Oregon runs it up even. I don't think there's like a – they're going to stop. No, I'm a, I mean, I don't disagree with your assessment of Oregon absolutely dominating this game. Like, I kind of like the full game over, even if it's it's just really gross to bet over 70 and a half points. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a promising proposition. But um, I, I think that looking at the Colorado team total, I think you're looking at a situation, like you said, like they're not – even if they're, you know – running on one cylinder because Colorado is beating them into the ground. They're still going to have every weapon out there to try and boost Shador Sanders' Heisman stock to try and save some face. So I think like a backdoor cover on it is fully in play. Like mm-hmm. I'm not looking for a pretty 28 points. I'm just looking for 28 points. <laughs> <laughs> we show, but we do agree that the buff stops here, yes. the Colorado Buffaloes and they get handed their first loss again cody colorado team total over 24 and a half i'm laying it with oregon minus 21 let's move to a top 10 matchup gets fourth billing on this show that's how big this week is ohio state travels to notre dame to take on the fighting irish ohio state ranks sixth they get back on track much to cody's dismay last week with kyle mccord as the starter they really open it up against western kentucky now on the road first true road game against a notre dame team that also has not faced a ton of adversity this year Sam Hartman looks like the part, 12 touchdowns and no interceptions. What was a questionable wide receiver group so far for Notre Dame has passed the test. Audrey Estime on the ground has looked damn good, over eight yards a pop so far this mm-hmm. season. But again, 
Notre Dame, they're facing their first test. Both teams, two teams that I have questions for that are going to be answered on Saturday. So I'm excited to see what happens. Cody, how do you read this one? Ohio State laying three and a half, we'll call it. Juicy three and a half. Total now at 55 and a half. How do you see it? So I, I'm i with you. I have questions about both these teams. Even though Ohio State made me look like a complete moron last week against Western Kentucky, I think that might have been a misread of Western Kentucky on my part, more so than a misread of Ohio State. Uh, having said that, with two unproven teams coming into this matchup, I'm going Notre Dame three and a, uh, plus three and a half at home. I if you have these, if you have two teams who, like you said, are in the situation where we're still trying to kind of figure them out, but both performed well in the test that they've been presented to this point, I don't understand why Notre Dame is giving three and a half at home in South Bend. I understand it's not the same, you know, home field advantage as playing in the at the shoe, but at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you talk about Notre Dame's offense and Sam Hartman, and I understand the level of competition, although I would argue that NC State's defense is not, you know, a pushover by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And they hung 45 on them in a game where there was a lightning delay, which can also always throw things. That was was a really weird game. Yeah. I, those, there were a few of those lightning delays in week two. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, I think some of those, not that like it's, like Notre Dame was ahead in that game and deserved to win, but just like some of the, like you get like some weird fluky things happen with lightning delays where like teams kind of lose control or like they come out flat, they come out, you know, I think weird things, but continue. No, you're fine. And I 100% with you, but they, end of the day, they still hung 45 on NC State. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like they played the best defense between these two teams, in my opinion, uh, like in the, in the six games that they've each played combined and they put up 45 on them. But I think Notre Dame's defense is also being a little underrated. I understand that they also have not been tested, but when you look at the SP plus rankings, which, you know, is if you don't know Bill Connolly's measurement in ESPN, it's a measurement of predictive efficiency. Essentially they're not far behind this Ohio state defense that people are very much swooning over who they're ranked fifth in SP plus, whereas Notre Dame is ranked seventh. This defense is quite good. And then you throw in Sam Hartman in this offense that, really seems to be clicking on all levels. They also have one of the better offensive lines in the country. Like Joe Alt is a pro prospect at left tackle for Notre Dame. And you look at the situation and I still have a ton of questions about Kyle McCord. Like I beating up on a Western Kentucky defense that after what I saw last week and, you know, digging a little more into it might actually be one of the worst defenses in the country. Like that's not going to change my opinion on a quarterback who is now playing in his first real road test in South Bend against the top 10 team. I understand we have Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka who can make plays against anybody in the country, Mm -hmm. but I don't trust the quarterback to make those plays yet. And I have five years plus of Sam Hartman that says he knows how to make plays. Even if he hasn't had the best big game track record, he's looked like a different player because he's been like given more freedom in this Notre Dame offense. And I have way more faith in that against, you know, I think it's basically whose offense performs better in this matchup uh, because I think both defenses are quite talented. And I have way more faith in Hartman and what we've seen from this Notre Dame offense consistently this season than I do Kyle McCord in Ohio State. Fair points all around. I, I think I don't have a strong opinion on the side. The more I think about it, I kind of like Ohio State because I just feel like that defense might be have another gear yeah. That being said, there's a lot of assumptions that I have about this game. There is two things I do know about this matchup between Ohio State and Notre Dame. It is that Ryan Day is very nervous and very scared and coaches very conservatively. And that Marcus Freeman is very nervous and very scared and coaches very conservatively. <laughs> so my play on this game is going to be on the first half under 27 and a half because I think that what I'm most confident in this game is that I think both coaches are going to keep this very close to the vest and they don't want to shoot the first arrow across the aisle. I don't think that Ohio State's – I watched that Indiana game in week one. They didn't really like Kyle McCord take the top off the defense. They didn't really <laughs> right. go for the jugular at all in that game. I don't think you're going to see Ryan Day try and blow out Notre Dame off the jump on the road. I think you're going to see a very slow, methodical start. I think you're going to see Travion Henderson – really involved this one. He's looked much better and healthy now. Mm-hmm. I hear see Ohio State try to take to the ground early and try to really impose their will with this offensive line. And 
maybe later on in the game, scheme up some open shots for Harrison and Ibuka downfield. So I think you're going to see Ohio State keep this on the ground. You look back to last year, Notre Dame's defense, their entire secondary is intact from last season. They mm-hmm. limited Ohio State to 21 points in that game. Uh, that was a much more dangerous Ohio yeah. State offense oh, yeah. at home, by the way. So I think Ohio State, again, you're going to see them ease into this game. On the other side, Notre Dame, a lot of this is game script dependent, but team is outside the top 20, uh, outside the top 100 in pass rate this season and bottom 20 in plays per minute. So the team's playing slow and they're running a lot. I think this, I, I think their preference is to run the ball because I still don't trust these Notre Dame pass catchers against Ohio State secondary, which has some questions still. But again, I don't think this is one we're going to see Sam Hartman come out slinging. I don't think this yeah. is a game we're going to see him try to go the ball down, throw the ball downfield. Because again, I don't really trust Notre Dame's pass catchers all that much. And I think, I mean, Ohio State with Jim Knowles there has been, they were a sturdy run defense last year as the back seven that really kind of cooked them. Yes. Michigan. God, I don't yes. think Notre Dame though has the receivers to do that, especially early on. So I think you're going to see a very slow, buttoned up approach to this game. I think both coaches are going to coach very conservatively. I think it's going to take one mistake to really kind of open this thing up, whether it's a fumble or a turnover, you know, the, the fluky play that goes either direction. Yeah. I don't want to necessarily predict who that's going to be. I guess you could make your own prediction on who that would be, but I think until that happens, until the big play happens, you're going to see a very conservative look. I think first half under all the way here. I think this could be something like 13, seven, 13, 10 at halftime, very low scoring. In my opinion, I think, you know, you're going to have t- two guys that like to kick field goals, two guys that have big defensive lines that are going to try and, you know, bully at the point of attack. Mm-hmm. I think first half under is what I'm most confident in, in a game where I have a lot of questions. I, I'm, I love that play when I, when I, you know, when I saw it on our pre-show notes, I, I saw that play and I was like, man, that's a really good play. Cause I mean, not only I agree with everything you said about how, about the conservative approach coming out of the gate, especially for two coaches who, despite, a fair amount of wins to their credit have questions from the fan base about their long-term viability, you know? So like coming into a game of this magnitude, they're going to coach conservatively, but you also see that in a lot of these marquee matchups, like first half under is actually a pretty solid play in a lot of these matchups. Like you mentioned Alabama, Texas earlier, they were both like, there were more shots taken probably, but at the same time there was, it was definitely like you said, who's going to shoot the first arrow across the aisle. You know, it was one of those situations. And I think we see that a lot in these big games. Going back to like my pick in the Notre Dame side, I think that this Ohio State defensive front in terms of the front seven, and particularly the front four, ton of talent. You know, you've got JTT, you've got Jack Sawyer. Like you've got a bunch of dudes there. Yeah. We haven't seen, we haven't seen them make necessarily though, like, the impact type plays like the splash plays where they're penetrating into the backfield. Like they do their job solidly, but they're not, I don't, I it's, I'm trying to play speak out of both sides of my mouth here. They're good players, but they're not been the, you know, game changers that you sometimes see from guys, especially from someone like JTT, who was, you know, bolstered as like a high, one of the better recruits of that class. And so, I think this Notre Dame offensive line is capable of finding success on the ground. Still plays to your first half under where we see a lot of run, but I think Notre Dame has every bit as much success in that regard as Ohio State can with Trayvon Henderson. So I think that Notre Dame stays in this game, whether it's low scoring or not. And I do think it's going to start off low scoring. But when you get to the second half and someone does make that mistake, I trust Notre Dame and Sam Hartman in this offense. Even if I am with you and being a little dubious of the pass catchers, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a game where we're going to see, you know, the top taken off and that be the game changing play. Yeah. I think Sam Hartman is the type of guy that kills you death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Like and third I, down conversions, big, like not necessarily a 40 yard bomb, but like 15 yards, like finds it, like extends the play and makes the right read and finds the guy like near the sideline. Like totally. Yeah. Three, like three 15 yard completions in a row. And all of a yeah. sudden they're in the red zone. Like that's how Sam meanwhile, Hartman though, plays. Meanwhile, the team moves so slow that, you know, three 15-yard passes, like that's two minutes of game time right off the clock there. You know, <laughs> True. I, I, oh, yeah. I think to me, these two teams, like Ole Miss Alabama to me, 
there's more with that, like under full game under, like there's more variance in that one. And maybe that's where I get cooked. Like Lane Kiffin, you know, is going to go for it a lot. You know, he's yeah. going to try and push this. You know, he's going to go for two when he's down 11 or whatever to make it three. These two coaches coach like old man, old men, football, <laughs> yeah. old man football. These yeah. two guys have zero interest in really getting creative and going for it. And, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of punts early because I think both teams want to lean on their defense more. I think Marcus I, I, Freeman has a quarterback advantage, but he's a defensive guy at heart. And I think Ryan Day does not trust his quarterback yet, in my opinion. And this and, is not that – maybe he does, but not right now. Not yeah. true road game. We got to get this one to keep up college football playoff. This is – we we want to lean on our defense here. No, and I, I understand that I talk a lot of trash about Kyle McCord. I'm not saying he's never going to be good. I'm just yeah. saying I don't think he's good right you now. You got to see it and, first. Yeah, absolutely. And – um, but, no, I'm with you. I'm like – if this game were to get a little off the rails, like you said, with the variance in Alabama Ole Miss, like if this game were to have more variance, which I do, I'm with you, I don't think it has a ton of variance in it. I think it's going to be in the second half, which is why I really like your play for all the reasons you mentioned. Yeah, like they're not if if we see them break from their tendencies, their conservative tendencies, it's not going to be in the first 30 minutes. Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Last game we want to get to make sure we hit on is UCLA Utah. Utah opened a six and a half point favorite. Now sitting, we got Utah as a four and a half point favorite, total of 52 and a half. This is the Pac 12 opener for both teams. Mm-hmm. UCLA has given the keys to stud freshman Dante Moore, who has looked the part thus far. Yeah, yeah. Um, Utah has not had Cam Rising. They have been mm-hmm. able to navigate a pretty tricky non conference schedule, even if it's been a little bit easier than expected. It's still beating Florida and it's beating winning at Baylor before beating a, you know, it's an FCS school, but one of the better ones in Weber state. Mm-hmm. This has been the expectation though, that cam rising would be back for conference play. Hasn't been officially cleared, but has been practicing with no limitations. We, I saw a note that we're going to find out tomorrow. that be yeah. Thursday that we're going to know if rising is going to play or not. I think personally, this number indicates that they don't know if he's going to play. I think it would probably shoot up close to six, six and a half, seven if mm-hmm. Rising plays, or it would go closer towards a pick if Rising does not play, in my opinion. Um, so this is kind of like a halfway number. I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of questions to be answered here. Um, I think if Rising plays, is he going to be full systems go? Is he going to be a little rusty? Because don't forget, Utah's top pass catcher, Brent Cuthie, also a game time decision for this one. The hope was he would be back for conference play. We shall see Cody thoughts on this one. What is your read on the cam rising situation? Does that change your handicap? I guess we do have to kind of make some caveats in this one, but let's try, we'll give it a bet and we'll, you know, try to give some context around it. So I actually went into this pick with the fact that I I'm with you. I don't know what to do with the cam rising situation, but that's why I'm going to look it up and see if anything else came out. I looked it up just before the show and I didn't see any new information. The last I saw was Whittingham said yesterday that he would, it would be 48 hours basically. So Thursday Mm. uh, before we know anything. Um, But when I, you know, looked at the numbers, I'm going Utah team total under 28 and a half. And part of my reasoning is the cam rising uncertainty that's involved with that. Let's say cam rising doesn't play. Well, this is a team that without Cam Rising has gone over 28 and a half just once, which was against, you know, like you said, Weber State's one of the better, you know, FCS teams, but they're still an FCS team and they scored 31 against them. They've basically been running a version of a Wildcat offense since they turned from Bar- uh, since they figured out that Bryson Barnes was not very good. And so that's what they've been running. And if Cam Rising doesn't play, I see a situation where they're moving the, like, they're, focusing almost solely on the run game against UCLA and that's keeping the clock turning. And then you take into the account that this game's at Rice Eccles, they're going to want to control the game on the ground and with their defense. And that plays to, you know, I mean, 28 and a half, they could score four touchdowns and still hit that under as a team total. And if they're playing that style of offense, I don't think they're scoring four touchdowns. I don't think they want to get that game in that range. And if rising does play, you already mentioned it. What's he going to look like? This is a guy coming back from a torn ACL suffered in December of last year or December. New Year's Day. New Year's Day. Day. Yeah. Might as well be December. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) No, it's the Rose Bowl. Whatever. Anyway, (laughs) um, (laughs) 
Um, but having said that, like, this is the first time we're going to see him in live game action. I don't like, I understand that he elevates the offense if he's 100% healthy and 100% not rusty. I don't trust him to be 100% not rusty is the key. And then you talk about Kuthi, you talk about the overall weapons in this offense. They're diminished from what we saw last year with Utah. And so when I look at that and I look at rising, not being like, I think there's a chance that we could see him not be particularly sharp. I still think over 28 and a half is a tough ass. So I like the under this team total. Don't hate it. I think again, you're trying to navigate show on Wednesday. Yeah. We don't know if the starting quarterback is going to play. I, it's sound. I guess I'm going against you in a way, but what concerns me, and again, it's Dante Moore's first true road mm-hmm. game playing in probably the toughest place to play in the Pac-12 in Rice-Eccles Stadium. That being said, if you go back and look at last year's Utah team, they struggled against the high-level offenses when they played them in the Pac-12. They let up 42 to UCLA on the road last year. They let up 42 to USC um, at home. They let up only 20 to Oregon. But if you go back and look at that box score, one Bo Nix was banged up in that game, and he still passed for 300 yards and couldn't move. Right. He threw all over them. So if Dante Moore is going to be able to pass the ball down the field, I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on Utah. That being said, looking at UCLA's defense, I think DeAnton Lynn, the new defensive coordinator, has been a huge upgrade. But UCLA hasn't played anybody this year. And if you go back and look at last year, UCLA's defense was a leaky faucet. Outside the top 100 across the board and things like success rate, EPA per play, yards per pass attempt. So I think Utah, if it's rising – I think obviously that raises the ceiling to this offense because there's a chance he hits the ground running and he looks really good coming off or he looks a little rusty, maybe gets pulled or what I think is most likely is whoever plays quarterback is Utah knows that they need to score points in order to keep up with UCLA because UCLA is going to get their three touchdowns, four touchdowns. They're going to get into the mid to high twenties pretty, you know, that's just how this game is going to work with the weapons they have and the scheme trip Kelly runs. So I think Utah is going to have a solid scheme that's going to test a relatively unproven UCLA defense. So I went over 51 and a half. It just feels a little low in my opinion. I think, granted, there's some rising questions. So maybe he, it that kind of raises the mm-hmm. expectation if he's ruled in. I just think each team scores four touchdowns total and you're way over. That's 56. If you score four touchdowns, 28, 28. Yeah. I just think – I think this number is leaning more towards like low 20s where I think both – like I think UCLA, we assume this defense has gotten better, but we haven't necessarily seen it yet. Maybe Utah is able to scheme up a few plays similar to how they did against Florida. Meanwhile, yeah. I think UCLA's offense is set for a big day against Utah, even on the road, even with a true freshman quarterback. I'm pretty bullish on this UCLA offense cooking here. So I, I went over – I think that's a little rising independent. I, I don't think I'm like locked in. I like I need rising to play for this to hit. I think even with Johnson or Barnes, I think that this could still get over given Utah's at home. And I think that they're going to scheme up a few uh, deep shots. I think this game could be a little bit higher scoring than, than anticipated. So with my leans, I actually think both of our play like based on my leans. But you think overall, UCLA might like smoke U- Utah? I don't think they're going to smoke them, but I think we could see uh, – 34-24 game, easily hit your over, Utah's under uh, the team total. So, like, I think we're in a situation where I think that whether rising plays or not, A, this UCLA defense is improved, but more importantly, I think that this Utah offense, rising or not, has way more limitations than we saw from the unit last year. Mm. And I think we're going to see that in this game, no matter who plays quarterback. And then – Specifically, if Rising weren't to play or were to get pulled, like he, you know, aggravates it or isn't, you know, it's showing mm. too much rust or whatever. The offense that Utah's been running is obviously with more talent, but is very similar almost to what we've seen from uh, San Diego State with their, you know, in, inability to pass the ball with how run heavy they've been, how uh, part of the run game quarterback's been when Johnson's been in there for Utah. UCLA shut San Diego State down in San Diego. And mm. 
I think that that's probably a bad sign for this Utah offense. And I think like I lean towards UCLA winning somewhat comfortably, not like a blowout or anything, but somewhat comfortably. And I think that both of our plays in this game are very much like on like in play with the way I see it playing out. Yeah, we'll see. That should be an interesting one. Uh, Not going to get to the Washington state, Oregon state game, but also a game to know before we get Mm -hmm. out of here, let's do our, you know, kind of our temple, uh, segments we're gonna do upset pick and sickos pick cody a little bit faster upset pick i agree with this one by the way i this would have been mine if you didn't put it down first or you win by getting to the to the outline first what's your upset pick this week uh so yeah i know this is a team you love it's not why i picked them i i just love to play but i have smu plus six and a half plus 220 on the money line against tcu i mean First off, it's the battle for the iron skillet, one of the funniest trophies in college football. Um, but on top of that, I think odds makers are really looking at this game and factoring in the 28-11 Oklahoma loss for SMU. But when you look in those numbers, it's kind of what you were talking about earlier with Clemson and Duke. SMU actually outgained Oklahoma by two yards. Oh, Preston I know. Stone. I bet, yeah, I know I bet you know. SMU in that one. I'm well aware you know. of what happened in that game. <laughs> yeah. Three-point so, game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, Preston Stone threw for 250, and the offense looked good, and the de- and there was just a couple of you know ill-timed turnovers and a close game. But now they're up against a TCU team who I'm still dubious about the offense. I don't think Chandler Morris is very good. They haven't played anyone since losing to Colorado where he made some crucial mistakes. But more importantly, I think TCU's defense is a huge step down from what we saw last year. Colorado diced them up. And SMU may not have the same high-end weapons as Colorado, but they're a better top-to-bottom offense than Colorado. And you have Rhett Lashley, who's a great offensive mind, uh, coming in against this TCU defense. I think SMU is very live to win this rivalry game. And, yeah, six and a half is too many points. 100% agree. Uh, Look at last year also. SMU went right at him. Uh, Mm -hmm. 42-34 final. Uh, SMU, you look – they couldn't really stop TCU. Granted, that was a much better TCU team. But SMU, total yards, TCU was able to hit, hit more explosive. But total yards is a pretty de- near even game, 487 to 476. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's – to me, I agree with that. One that I'm looking at, you can find this at FanDuel at plus four. That's that's a good teaser. Starts with a four. Plus 460. Mm. I I was moved by that Boston College performance from Florida State. <laughs> I was moved. Boston College catching 14 against Louisville. Haven't really seen a huge leap from Louisville this year under Jeff mm-hmm. Brom. You go back week one, they played Georgia Tech on a neutral field. Georgia Tech led for chunks of that game. Back and yeah. forth, led up 33 points to them as well. Louisville ends up escaping with a win. They play Murray State. They – Play Indiana pretty tight. They win by seven on the road, true road game, Big Ten opponent. I know Indiana's pretty poor, but you know Louisville gets away with that one. Now playing Boston College team where I think that we need to start changing our perception because Thomas Castellanos seems to have given life to this BC offense. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, passed for 300 yards, ran for almost 100. A lot of chunk plays from the BC passing game. Castellanos was picking up plays with his legs. I know Louisville is a pretty good defensive line and they have explosive player makers like Thrash and Jordan, but I think that this Boston College team is a team to start playing on with Castellanos here. And I don't think the numbers are truly capturing it. Came in against Northern Illinois, nearly let a comeback win there. This sounds brutal, I know. Uh, they hardly did <laughs> Holy Cross. But then they played a really, really spirited effort against Florida State. They were in that game. The defense obviously lackluster, but uh, I think more – Boston College struggles with mobile quarterbacks. And when guys get out of the pocket, that's not Jack Plummer. Jack Plummer's just going to throw no. him inside the pocket. So I think BC might be able to get home in this one and stay tight. I just think Louisville, this is a big, big expectation change. You know, they were laying, what was it? I think it was 10 on the road against Indiana, didn't cover. They were laying like seven and a half against Georgia Tech on a neutral field, didn't cover. Again, big number here for Louisville. I just think. Listen, maybe Boston College just sucks. They had like 18 penalties against Florida yeah. State. It was ridiculous. Maybe they're just done and Halfley's really done here. But I'll I'll try with Castellanos. I think maybe there's something brewing here with BC that they're a little bit better than their uh, expectation. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think your reasoning for behind it is sound. The one thing that would worry me is, you know, it was the red bandana game yeah. last week. And I wonder, you know, if that was kind of like every bit everything they had in the tank to try and pull that off there at the end of that game and whether or not there's a whole lot left in the tank moving forward or whether or not yeah. they're the team that barely beat Holy Cross, you know, that type it's of two team. Two touchdowns though. That's a bit and I, I it's I, true. Two it's true. It's a big spread. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, of course, we can't get out of here, though, without a Sicko's pick. What did we do last week? I think we both won our Sicko's pick. Yep. That was my really one win. Quick, before we get out of here, I got to shout out Trent Dilfer. Rode the over again in UAB, Louisiana. This score, first of all, there's a rain delay for like two hours. It was 41-3 to with four minutes left. Mm-hmm. Over whatever number 57 and a half through 59 and a half, wherever it closed over below 60, 41 to three UAB generates two turnovers and scores three touchdowns in the final four <laughs> minutes and 10 seconds of action to get over every number under the sun. Let's go. Trent Dilfer. Have a day. Super bowl champion. You, you got to love a super bowl. 21 final. That, that's just playing to the final whistle. Trent Dilfer, an overbetter's dream. All right, Sicko's pick before we get out of here, Cody. Uh, what are you looking at? You know, after a long day of the best college football slate of the year, you've got to get the midnight Eastern time start time in Hawaii with New Mexico State visiting. I mean, who wouldn't want to be sweating out some late night action? Mm-hmm. Um, I have New Mexico State plus three on the island in this game. You look at Hawaii, and I understand that they're, you know, they played three power five teams to this point, but two of those power five teams were Vanderbilt and uh, Stanford who, you know, power five is a very loosely used terms with those <laughs> programs. And they rank 127th in defensive SP plus this season. This defense is horrendous. And you look at a New Mexico state team that is two and two. They had an ugly loss to start the season against UMass uh, that in a game that they should have won. And, you know, it's kind of been up and down, but, this team has been creative, creating a lot of explosive plays. Uh, Tom Fernelli of CBS Sports shared something yesterday evening of the mo- uh, the most touchdowns scored outside of the red zone from outside of the red zone this season. New Mexico State is tied for seventh in the country. They have nine touchdowns scored from outside of the red zone this season. So they've been creating explosive plays at a pretty high rate that you wouldn't necessarily expect from this New Mexico State team. Diego Pavia is a, a quality player. He makes mistakes, but I just have more faith in this New Mexico State offense with Pavea in his second year starting than I do with this Hawaii offense that understanding that they played some higher level competition just hasn't really been that impressive and has also committed or also thrown six interceptions already through four games this season. Pavea's thrown four for New Mexico State. I understand that as well, but I just have more faith in the explosiveness of this New Mexico State offense against a truly horrendous defense. This is probably going to be a shootout that I'm sweating for the until like 3 a.m., but I'm willing to sweat it. I love it. I love it. Going to the last game on the board. Mine is definitely going to be a sicko one. Uh, Sam Houston, give me the 12 and a half against Houston. Mm. Uh, I love this Sam Houston team all year. I believe it was on the show. I took them against BYU, but this team, their yeah. offense has got awful. I will note that they've scored, I believe, three points through two games. Their defense is absolutely nails. And I will say, coming off of a bye, early bye week, getting a full week to prepare mm-hmm. for the Houston team that really looks all out of sorts. I mean, you know, 127th in offensive EPA per play, 116th in defensive EPA per play. They probably should have lost to UTSA, which would have made them 0-3 on the year. They're not laying double digits against Sam Houston, which, again, they haven't won an FBS game yet. You know that this is a veteran team based on them jumping up from the FCS ranks, and they've been competitive. Mm-hmm. They lost at BYU. That was a very competitive game. Their quarterback, um, Shoemaker, is just awful. Like, so <laughs> He's not It's not going to be a pretty one. But they played hard against Air Force. They lost thirteen to three. They're again off a bye. I just I don't know if Houston's really getting up here. I think that they're already circling the drain after getting smoked by TCU. They lost to Rice in uh, overtime the week before that. Big number here. I just I can't get here. I'm going to take the points to Sam Houston State. I think that they could keep this relatively close. And honestly, upset is not out of the realm of possibility whatsoever. Because I think this Houston team is like it, it's one of those where the numbers almost can't catch up to 
the psyche yeah. around the team. And you, as the year goes on, you start to pinpoint those ones you want to start playing against. And I just don't know if Houston is rallying, like circling the wagons here. Like, hey, we lost a TCU in our first Big 12 game. We got another non-conference game against a team that has not scored a touchdown yet in the FBS. <laughs> like, let's get yeah. up. I think Sam Houston, the way their defense has been playing, I think that they could hold up here. And uh, honestly, maybe this is the upset pick. No, I mean, I like it too. Like, I think I think we're on full uh, how long until Dana Holgerson gets fired. Watch. And could be, you can't could be calculate. Saturday night. Yeah, and I mean, you can't calculate that against, you know, the numbers. Like, the, the team may just be done with him because they know he's gone. So. Yeah, 100%. Cody, we had a bunch of picks this week. We had over an hour breaking down this loaded week for a slate. Do you want to go through your picks? Yeah, I'll rapid fire these. So I got Florida State minus two and a half over Clemson. I have the Alabama Ole Miss over 55 and a half. Oregon, Colorado, I'm going Colorado team total over 24 and a half. Notre Dame, Ohio State, I have Notre Dame plus three and a half. UCLA, Utah, give me the Utah team total under 28 and a half. Uh, upset pick, SMU is taking down the Horn Frogs. SMU plus 220 on the money line, plus 6.5 on, on the spread. And then Sicko's pick, New Mexico State, plus three against Hawaii, last game on the slate. Yeah, let's get over 500 this week. But you can't get the Ole Miss Alabama over because I <laughs> took the under 55 and a half. I also took the over 55 in Clemson, Florida State. I took Oregon minus 21 against Colorado. The first half under 27 and a half in Notre Dame, Ohio State. I took over 51 and a half in Utah, UCLA. I took BC plus 14, sprinkle on the plus 460 money line, and Sam Houston State plus 12 and a half against Houston. A lot of totals for me. Uh, great show, though, Cody. This is we, we oh, went yeah. deep, deep, deep here. Um, if you are still listening and you didn't sign up for DraftKings just yet, what are you doing? Because we have this great promo for you. If you sign up, deposit $5 and bet it, you get $200 in bonus bets. And also, if your bet loses, you get $150 back in bonus bets. Just use the code STB. That stands for this great show, Stacking the Box. It's college football edition. All the details are in the episode description right below us. Right there, if you're watching on YouTube, you could see the offer right in front of you. Again, that's Cody Williams. I'm Reed Wallach. You can follow him on Twitter at the Sizzle 20 You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wallach. We will see you next Wednesday. Best of luck with all your bets. Let's get over 500, why don't we? Enjoy the weekend, guys. Let's do it. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.